Welcome to the Ditch Day Podcast. I'm Brian Morrissey, and we are we are continuing our remote podcast. Um, and this week, I am joined by Elizabeth Bramson Boudreau. Uh, Elizabeth is the CEO of MIT Technology Review. Elizabeth, welcome. Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me. Okay, so you are coming to us from quarantine where? I'm in Newton, Massachusetts, just outside Boston. Okay. Well, no, I shouldn't say quarantine. Isolation. Isolation, yes. Okay, so for those... Not familiar. Explain MIT Technology Review. It's not It's not like part of the school. No. So we are an independent company owned by MIT uh, that operates in t- independently of MIT in terms of our editorial coverage. We write whatever we want about not only MIT, but other institutions, businesses, uh, laboratories, etc. Uh, and it's been around since 1899. It was the first ever tech publication anywhere. 1899, there wasn't really a, you can imagine, there wasn't really a thing around tech magazines. Yeah. Uh, and it what, was was the, what was the first cover story? So the first article in the first issue is about how to set up a laboratory. Ah, okay. You know, what you need, I guess, Bunsen burners or, you know, whatever, Petri dishes. Um, okay. We have, we, you know, all of the archives going back to the very first issue. Yeah. It's, uh, so, it's so week, I think, I think week eight of this, I might, I, I might go back and, and, and look at that and build yes. one, uh, myself. Yes. Cause, uh, there's a lot of time, uh, right now. Okay. So, but you operate like as a for-profit. Correct. We are technically okay. a nonprofit, but we operate as a, as a for-profit, as you, as you might imagine, um, you know, many yeah. institutions, uh, or, or enterprises or, 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 uh, organizations like us, um, okay, so, so you got to make money. Yep, we got to make money. And we have our business breaks out into, you know, our, our core product is everything we publish uh, digitally on the website, technologyreview.com. So we're constantly updating, you know, many, many articles every day on a whole range of emerging technologies. It's all about emerging. It's not about anything that you or I would have in our bags or in our homes. Uh, but rather what's coming out of laboratories and being developed for the future. Um, and uh, you know, we publish on AI, on robotics, on all kinds of advances in biomedicine, um, on blockchain, uh, you know, just a whole gamut of really developing uh, technologies. And have always done that from the very beginning. Um, but obviously, you know, in the last four or five years, emerging technologies, particularly driven by AI and robotics and, and some of the other things I just listed, has become sort of the the real core focus for a lot of business um, journalism, and of course we've been doing this for you know as I mentioned 120 years. Uh, so also simultaneous you know to sort of other um, organizations around the world getting kind of getting religion around emerging tech, um, MIT decided about five years ago, let's do a heck of a lot more with this thing this MIT Tech Review, which has been around for all these years, but really hadn't popped on the, on the media radar. And so there is, we've been in a multi-phase, multi-year investment um, and growth uh, strategy plan, and it's incredibly okay, so exciting. Well beyond the magazine, um, what's the revenue breakdown? Like, where do so, you, because okay. I want to get into how you're adapting, because all of us are adapting. Yeah. So it's 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 about it's a pretty even split between subscriber based revenue, subscriber derived revenue, uh, for you know access to the site and to the print magazine, which we publish six times a year. Um, it's a pretty even split with that, with our uh, advertising business, 
and with our events and kind of other business. So about a third into kind of each of those uh, each of those buckets. So fortunately, we are not really really um, reliant on any one of those. Um, although mm. it doesn't mean that a change to uh, one part of that business, like events, doesn't. It, of course, it it, it hurts us. Uh, but we are fortunately not overly leveraged in that direction. Mm-hmm. So explain to me. Uh, I think. I first reached out to you a few, uh, we were joking before this, like a few weeks ago about doing this podcast and, and, you know, regular joke is that is basically a few years ago now, uh, a lot has changed. Um, walk me through sort of what you did internally when obviously, I mean, I'm sure with technology review, you, you were probably on the forefront that what was coming. Um, but walk me through what you sort of did internally um, to prepare for how you how you have to adapt to this new normal yeah uh, I mean so fortunately uh, most of what we do each day in connecting with our audience is digital uh, journalism and so the journalists and you know we are also rather dispersed geographically uh, quite quite a, a number of the journalists actually located, uh, are located in you know their home offices or um, or outside of uh, you know a a one of these uh, hot spots um, for the outbreaks. So you know we were able to keep going. The team was really able to keep moving and producing content, um, and to you know take their Zoom meetings from you know, uh, you know, a dozen people to many more people as, you know, they no longer had the headquarters to uh, connect from. Uh, so the, the actual core delivery of what we do hadn't ch- didn't have to change that much. What we did have to change rather quickly, um, within about four or five days, we had to make a call on our largest event based in, uh, called MTech Digital, entirely on AI, uh, our, our highest yielding event, uh, when was that was scheduled for? 23rd to the 25th of March. Oh, dear. And yeah, last week. And uh, we needed to make the call in early March. I believe it officially made the decision around the 9th or the 10th of March um, because you know, it became clear that we weren't going to be able to, um, t- to carry on with it. We knew for a while, about four or five days before that, we knew it was, we were heading in that direction. And we could also see that the audience knew because the ticket sales started to started to decline. People, yeah. stopped, people stopped purchasing. Um, but we had to make the decision, what were we going to do? Were we going to reschedule it? Or were we going to move it to a virtual event? And we ended up with the latter. And instead of doing it you know, in the way we all know and love events, we took the whole thing to a platform um, that enabled us to deliver it. Instead of go, I think instead of about 30 hours worth of content, we ended up doing about about 20 hours worth of content over three days. Uh, we had all but two or three of our speakers drop off, and the ones who dropped off did so for personal reasons. Um, and we had the, you know, we had to get a, a, um, a technical crew available to help us kind of deliver it to the quality that we wanted. One of the hard things about, about it was that when people come to an MIT technology review event, the reason they come is because they know it. The, the convening power of MIT mm-hmm. and the expertise around the technologies are going to come together in a in a very unique and very carefully curated way. 
and they're going to get to talk to the world's largest, the world's greatest leader in whatever that technology is. Or if not talk to him or her, they're going to get to uh, network with other people who are, um, who are similarly interested. So how do we preserve that kind of, that kind of experience when um, you can't have that kind of interaction? Because you know these people, they've mm-hmm. got they've got they've got talks up on YouTube, right? So so it's not as though you can't find out what so and so thinks about AI, um, but it's the interaction that we can provide that's a value. Um, so we needed to find a platform that allowed for that kind of interaction, and the programming team really really leaned into thinking about interactivity and community yep. and how to foster that digitally. And I think they did a really wonderful job. So we had chat rooms that broke out that you could, after so-and-so gets off and finishes his or her talk, you can then go into the chat room with that person and begin to ask a whole range of questions. Um, so that was very powerful. Um, you know, there were some snafus with the internet, you know, because the internet was, has been really struggling under all the load that it's been put under. Uh, but it was a really an unqualified success for us. And, um, we were able to hold on to sponsorship. We were able to hold on to attendee revenue. Uh, so we ended up kind of um, turning it into something that was different, uh, but, but you know, also valuable. Um, and, of course, that, yeah, that enabled that, us to experiment for future. Yeah, I think that's, like, important. I think the big theme probably of this podcast going forward uh, for the foreseeable future is adaptability um, and adaptability of organizations. I mean, we're living it. We, we have a, a business that um, is is very reliant on, conven- on the convening power of our brands, right? And so we're trying to figure out how we can adapt um, and virtual events have, you know, pluses and minuses. So you were able to keep the sponsorship revenue in, is that correct? Yeah, we couldn't keep it dollar for dollar, but we kept about 50% of it. Um, and we then rolled the remaining 50% into other digital products. Okay. So we have newsletters, sponsorship, we have other things. So we, we were able to hold on to the investment, uh, which as you can imagine, uh, was important. Yeah, yeah, very important. Yeah. Um, you know what's also interesting, to- Brian, is that we actually had one of our sponsors after that say... We want to sponsor your next virtual event, which is yeah. will be in uh, will be in June. So we're like, great, okay, fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I I think one of the themes, in addition to adapt adaptation, that we're really hitting on a lot is acceleration because this is going to accelerate a lot of changes, um, both for businesses but also society. I think. Um, how much do you think this is going to stick around? Like, I mean, my bet is we go back to convening in person. I just think that human beings are wired for that. But at the same time, I think your organization, our organization can get really good at a different set of products. And and, and these are digitally delivered that maybe we wouldn't have developed because of the, the, the power of in-person events. So I completely agree with everything you just said. We, for, uh, for, for years, have been trying to figure out how do we take our events brand, which is called MTech, how do we take MTech from the problem that we have with MTech, the problem is a good problem, which is that we sell out. Uh, and we don't want to make it a 2,000-person a, a event because that loses in, in, the intimacy and really kind of changes the product for the attendees. Um, but selling out... Is, is a problem for me um, because, you know, I can only fill so many rooms in so many days. 
So for years, we've been talking about, is there a way for us to do a 15,000-person MTech that you don't have to get on an airplane or you know jump in the car or whatever to attend, that people from San Francisco, Boston, and Istanbul could all attend? Yeah. And how do we do this virtually? And there's a lot of experimentation that's going on in the academic world around virtual classrooms and stuff that we've been paying quite a bit of attention to. And yet we never needed to sort of pull the trigger on any of that because it, you know, things were kind of, we had other priorities, right? Uh, So really jumping into an experiment was like, okay, yeah, eventually we'll get to it until now, right? It's a perfect time to, because like we're, everyone in the world is forced now into this situation where they can't leave the house. So it is the ideal test. What I said to my team is I said, listen, this is tough, but never, ever will your audience be more understanding of problems and uh, technical glitches and content that doesn't quite work in digital format. Never will you have a more forgiving uh, audience than than right now. Because everybody understands we're all in this together. This Nobody designed this situation that we're in. Uh, and so all the more reason for us to take advantage of this as a time for experimentation. And I'm so glad we did. I mean, I think the blood pressure of my uh, events team, you know, is probably something we need to keep a close watch on because they've been under a lot of stress in, in delivering the darn thing. Um, but now on the other end of it and seeing the way, what's interesting, Brian, is that audiences didn't drop off in the way that we worried that they might. They stuck around. And that kind of staying power or whatever the word is um, uh, in digital format, you know, virtually was much higher than we thought it would be. So people really did stay on for hours. Uh, And we worried that, you know, that that they might taste it and then decide, nah, I'm not going to bother. So we're very excited about the future. And what I think is that this that this will this can become a new line of business for brands like ours. Um, not to replace in-person events, but to supplement them. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, glass half empty, glass half full. Glass half full is you kept 50% of the revenue. Mm -hmm. Glass half empty is you lost 50% of the revenue. Now, how much of that is the fact that the ceiling, the revenue ceiling for this kind of event is lower? And how much of that is just sponsors being skittish or it it isn't a proven product? Do you have any sort of visibility? So I, I think it's the latter. I don't think that I don't think there's any real ceiling on this. Um, I think if we had had more than a couple of weeks, we would have seen. I know we would have sold more tickets. I know we would have um, if we had done it before and had sponsors able to, you know, watch a replay of an of a previous event. I think we would have held on to more of those dollars. Um, so we're feeling pretty optimistic about the one, the event that we're doing in June, um, because we've got months to really figure out how to do it um, at the highest possible level. We're going to, you know, reconsider the platform partner that we use because we had an experience with one that we think, okay, we learned something from that. Let's see what else we can find out there. We only had five days to choose a platform, um, and you know, we've got now we've got a few months. Uh, and yeah. of course, when we were trying to choose a platform, all the people that we were trying to to get to talk to us were getting, you know, their phone their phones just wouldn't stop ringing. So we've got a little bit more opportunity, I think, to think it out, and then to work with the speakers and say, okay, you're going to be delivering this virtually. How do you want to think about your content and breaking it up differently? 
Um, and how do you want to engage with your audience knowing that they aren't going to be in the same physical space as you? And I think there's a lot of opportunity for improvement. So let's just stick with that. Then I want to get onto the other the, the other aspects of the business. What are like specific, um, uh, you know, in the weeds details that you think you'll do differently next time than this time? So one of the, um, I think there are probably some parts of of a speaker's talk that can be pre recorded, and then there are parts of a speaker's time on stage, in inverted commas on stage, that can be live. And I think uh, there are probably uh, things like demos and um, we do a lot of demos because we're looking at kind of cool new technologies, right? Um, and there are, there are lots of things that we could pre-record and enable it to be really high production value for the, uh, the watcher. And then to have the live interaction with our, with our, you know, our editor-in-chief um, very, uh, very spontaneously, but knowing that you've kind of really delivered the kind of wow and the production value of a, of a demo that we would have done in person, but we can't. And the, the internet being what it is, you can't always guarantee it's going to work. Cause also the speakers are, you know, we're, we're, we're dependent upon their internet connections. It's not just the platform itself. So there's a lot of variables I think we can eliminate. Um, and that's one of the things we know we're going to do. Okay. So Let's move on to the ad business. Yep. What are you seeing there? I mean, most of the people I talk to um, are telling me it's 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 seized up for them, and and who knows whether it's it's temporary or not. I mean, I think every time there is a crisis, everyone goes back to the fact that advertisers can't turn off advertising and so on and so forth. But the CFO wins that argument all the time. Um, this is a controllable cost. You can turn it on and off. There isn't a lot of demand out there in the economy to even harvest. Um, what are you seeing on that? I mean, we're seeing the same thing. Um, I think one of the benefits that we have is that um, most of the digital advertising deals that we do are custom programs. And so they are sort of longer lead time. There's research process un that we undertake with and on behalf of the advertising partner. So we're in the process right now of, of finishing up a lot of those, um, those projects. And, um, and we should be able to, we're continuing to earn at roughly the same pace as we were before the crisis. Mm -hmm. The trouble is there's not a lot coming in that's new. Um, so the, the seize up is probably a few months, uh, probably a, a month and a half or so down the yeah. road. Uh, right now it's okay. Do you have much visibility at all as far as like changing your forecast? Because I think one of the issues that um, a lot of companies are running into is there are just so many overwhelming unknowns. And yep. to even try to model out what your business is going to look like in six months is, is kind of nuts. Yeah. So it's interesting, Brian, right? We, um, we follow a July 1st to June 30th fiscal year. So we just today began our fourth quarter, which means um, we are also in the process of refining our New Year's budget. So this is very salient for me right now. Okay. Uh, because what the heck? I don't know when this is actually going to, how this is going to play out. So what we have done is, is are two different scenarios. One scenario assumes that this more or less ends in kind of late summer, early fall, that we more or less... Can you define end? Yeah, great question. So meaning we can, we no longer have to isolate. 
and that people can go out and go to go to business and you know have meetings and that sort of thing. That's one scenario. Wait, 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 wait a second. Fall is the best case scenario. Elizabeth, yeah, I don't I'm think this is little... gonna, I'm sorry. I don't think this is going to end in. This isn't going to end in May, and not in my opinion. No. Uh, and we're not assuming that. We're assuming that this is something that, uh, in some form or another, lingers through the summer. Uh, so our baseline scenario is: let's assume we can kind of go back to work in the fall. Um, and we are more or less able to carry forth from, say, September or so. Now, that'll still be a really tough financial year for us. That next financial year will still be really tough for us um, as compared with our, you know, our projections year or so ago, but it will represent a growth year for us again. Now, yeah. a worst well, that, case scenario... Well, that's the downside, of, I guess, of, of the fiscal year. And then we'll get to that because, I mean, correct. everyone else yes. I'm talking to is like, hey, the good news is our 2021 is going to look amazing. Right, right. So a, a, a worst case scenario that we are um, wondering and, and have put forward our budget numbers around is that this thing carries on through the calendar year and that okay. uh, the economy is in, is in you know, collapse Advertising budgets are massively curtailed. Uh, events are not, you know, do not carry forth except in virtual format. Um, and so we have both of those scenarios, you know, sort of sketched out, and we know what our, our imperatives will be according to each. So how do you take steps then to um, adjust operating costs based on that? I mean, because again, like it's really difficult. I think we're seeing a lot of people we're experiencing in ourselves to be completely transparent is, um, you know, you have to, media businesses are really tough because they're, they're cash intensive. Um, you have mm -hmm. to create stuff up front and then, and then collect revenue later on. Mm -hmm. And your costs are not in machinery, they're in people. Um, so yep. you don't have a lot of levers to control costs. I don't know other industries, but I just know this one. So, yeah, I mean, this is a place where we go to our bank, and our bank is MIT, and the, our success is uh, very important to the Institute. The Institute has a multi-billion dollar endowment that they have been incredibly careful about invest the investments, and this is a place where I have a conversation with my, my board and say, look, this is an opportunity. This is an incredibly tough time for media. And we are doing amazing work. We are, you know, after many years of really massively changing, transforming the entire business in the last two and a half, three years, Brian, we are now at the place where we are beginning, beginning to really hit, uh, punch it at, at our weight class. And um, this is not the time for us to make painful personnel cuts. Uh, and uh, I seek their grace and, uh, you know, without wanting to put anything into a podcast that might get uh, misinterpreted by my bosses, um, I seek their grace and I uh, feel confident that we, I will receive it. And what okay. I said and what I strongly believe is that a recession, an economic downturn, is an incredible opportunity to, grow, to invest for growth. If you have the cash, spend it. So that on the way up, you're, you are building from a position of even greater strength. So yeah. you know, famously, the New York Times did this in 2009. Uh, what I want to do and what, um, what we are working through the thoughts around, you know, the plans around, is to actually be opportunistic at this point. So that when we come out of this, 
uh, technology review has really built uh, some strength in its muscle. And it not, only, not only are we lean, but we're lean and strong. So what is, explain for, because I think it's a good point and it's, it's, it's come up with, with several conversations I've had, but explain what opportunistic would look like for, um, for MIT uh, technology review. So, I mean, the, like all me, all company, all, all media companies, all publishers, you know, we are, you know, as, as you said, we're a people business. And so we are constrained by, you know, a little bit of technology, although we've more or less gotten on the other side of some of that, um, that investment and transformation. Um, but we're really constrained by the people. And, uh, and there are tremendously, there are some we, we do not find ourselves searching for topics that we could write about and develop our ownership um, and provide valuable and, um, and uh, useful insights for our audience. What we do find ourselves constrained by is we don't have enough people to follow all those things. So we have to be, you know, we have to be selective. At this point in time, we have an editor-in-chief who's now been in position for two years uh, at this point in time, we know if if you know if 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 we if we decided we wanted to grow the business and begin to cover even more, we know exactly what those even mores would be, and all the more reason for us right now to say, okay, you know, uh, we are we're fortunate due to our ownership position. We don't have we don't carry any debt. You know, we are not going to face some of the some of the free fall that a lot of other media companies will face at this point in time. So why don't we actually seek to, at this point in time, develop more of that coverage so that when yeah. we're on the way out of this, uh, this economic crisis, uh, we have really, um, we've really developed a bigger, a, a greater breadth. Yeah. And I don't mean to be like negative, but I mean, your, your pool of, of, of talent expands. I mean, just the, the reality is um, across all sectors, it's not just delivery um, people. The, the tightness that people, um, that businesses felt when it, con- when it came to attracting workers and retaining workers, um, it gets, I don't want to say easier, um, but, you know, it does. It gets easier in, in, in a downturn. There's, there's more talent available. Um, yep. I think what's interesting is, is the idea of will this benefit a new crop of, of, of companies or will it benefit the really opportunistic and well-positioned um, existing companies? Um, this is a conversation I had with Rich Antonello last week. Um, his view, perhaps a little biased, is that this will actually benefit those with strong balance sheets who are already in the market rather than this, you know, this wave of, of newcomers. Yeah, I mean, we are in the latter, we are in that second group too. And yeah, um, yeah you've been around 120 years, so. Yeah, and um, <laughs> yeah, uh, and you know, we've been doing what we do really well for at least the last four or five years. Um, and so there's a lot that I know we will benefit from. I mean, we have to execute properly. We have to be smart. We have to avoid stupid mistakes, all that kind of thing. Um, but I feel pretty confident that I think we're going to do well. We have a brand that really stands the test of time and that people value and trust, et cetera. Um, for new, I mean, for newcomers, I think, I think it all gets down to how, um, how scrappy are you? How, um, how clever are you at finding the oper- finding the, the sort of the cracks and the and the gaps, mm-hmm. uh, and then how long you can um, you know how, what your cash situation is and how long your cash will last. Yeah, I mean that was something Rich said. You know, it's all I think he said brand brains balance sheet. 
um, and balance sheet yeah. is something we've been focusing on in our coverage because it's just it's not sexy, but it's 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 absolutely critical right now. Yeah. Um, it looks really so fun- sexy right now. Yeah, yeah, no, we did that. <laughs> CFOs are the new, uh, whatever. Exactly. I hate, I've banned Rockstar, but like, you know, they're the new yeah, superstar. Right. Last thing is subscriptions. Are you seeing these hold up? And also, I mean, obviously a lot of your coverage um, is is in this area of, of the coronavirus. And um, you're not like taking down all um, sort of meters or paywalls. Um, in order to provide uh, this for free? Uh, actually, we are. We All of our coronavirus content, uh, and we've, we've pivoted a good proportion of the team to p- coronavirus coverage from the perspectives that we can add value. You know, we're not, mm-hmm. we're not trying to go um, at it from the same angle as a lot of other media companies. We're coming at it from a strictly technology review perspective. Um, but the, you know, that's pretty much what people want to read about. That's pretty much what all people can talk about. I don't know if you've had the experience where you've had to sort of force your dinner companions or your Zoom companions to talk about something else, right? That's pretty much what everyone wants to read about. So we are we are publishing a lot on, on coronavirus. We have a newsletter that's entirely on coronavirus that's gone from zero to 41,000 since March 10th. Uh, we have a Zoom radio show, uh, which we also uh, publish on uh, or, or um, uh, release on Facebook, which airs three times a, three times a week. It's called Radio Corona. Uh, that's tremendously successful. Traffic on the site is, you know, as I'm sure uh, you've heard from other other media companies, traffic on the site is at an all time high. All of our Corona content is free. That is a part of the mission. That is a part of our providing good, reliable information in, a, in an era of disinformation uh, to people who are worried about what this is going to mean for our lives and the way we, the way we live and work. Um, we are still publishing content on other things, and that stuff is behind the paywall. There's much less of it than there was. So what the journalists are doing, which, you know, depending on your organization, you can imagine journalists have different attitudes about this. Um, but our journalists have been very good about it, is many more calls to action in the content, the radio, uh, excuse me, the coronavirus content. Much more about, if you like this, please, it's, it's, you know, it's free to everyone, it's coronavirus content, but please support Technology Review. And actually, it seems to be working. We have seen a nice mm. uptick in subscriptions. Uh, so we're, you know, we're we're doing okay. Mm-hmm. Um, will, will you reevaluate that though? I mean, because like, I guess I understand it. Which part? Your strategy of keeping all uh, coronavirus content uh, freely available, because you know, if this stretches on the entire year. Like, I mean, I, I wonder, like the New York Times, like, I wonder how long, and I have I have a feeling they're going to start to parse it. They're going to say, well, mm-hmm. if it's about business, it, it goes behind the paywall. If it's about this, if it's about, and they're going to start to- I think they're kind s- of already doing it. Because I, I mean, actually, I, I, I don't know about, I mean, I'm obviously a subscriber to the New York Times, but I have a sense that they're not all of that- not everything that I would think of as a coronavirus story is yeah. thus free is actually categorized as such. You know, it's possible. We'll, we'll do, need to do the same thing. I don't really see that in the short term, you know, certainly not in the short term. We'll have to take a look at the analytics and see what exactly yeah. is happening to conversion. And are we able to um, justify one direction or the other? We just don't have enough data at the moment. It hasn't been long enough. 
Yeah. So I, I want to uh, wrap it up here, but before we do, I want to, I mean, you know, I'm asking everyone sort of these questions. Um, what are some sort of insights that you have with, you know, keeping teams together during this time of, of tremendous amount of uncertainty, both, you know, in their, their, their personal lives, um, but also in their professional lives. Everyone's seeing the news with, with people losing jobs and everything like this, and, and we're all remote. Um, I don't know. What are your sort of insights on that? So I'm like everybody else. I'm feeling it along, uh, feeling it out as I go. Um, I think that uh, one of the things that's really important to me as a not only professional but as a person is transparency, and um, and one of the I think characteristics of my um, my the role that I play at Technology Review is telling everybody as much as I possibly can. Um, and I certainly won't, uh, I certainly won't lie to people. And I think when the, when the staff and the team at Technology Review really understands that they can listen to what I'm saying and, you know, I may say it awkwardly or I may, you know, I may, I may sort of stutter over a sentence or two, but I'm, I'm, that's a shortcoming in my vocal skills, not my desire to obfuscate anything. I think, Understanding they can trust what they're hearing from their their CEO, I think, is vitally important. And it's not necessarily the case. So that's the first thing that we've we've tried to do is a lot of a lot more contact, a lot more all company meetings by Zoom than we ever would have had in you know yeah. in, in person, right? Um we've we've done this, uh we've you know, obviously Slack is you know on fire. Uh it's the place to be. Um, uh, the technology review Slack channels are just, they're, they're a great place. Um, we've done lots of sort of sharing photographs of all of our work at home spaces. We've got a, uh, we, I put together a song list every, I asked everybody to send me a list of their two or three favorite songs that are kind of keeping them upbeat. And we, I put together a Spotify playlist and we shared that. Uh, we have our editor in chief every Friday afternoon makes a cocktail in his apartment Oh. Out of out of things that are relatively easy to come by, uh, so you know it doesn't involve bitters or anything odd like that. That'd be hard to get right now, but rather things that are relatively easy to come by. He'll make a cocktail, and then everyone can then learn from him how to make that cocktail and then make it at home. Um, you know, we had an all company meeting on Monday. We have them every Monday, and we had this meeting on Monday. And one of the I asked, you know, how's everybody doing? You know, what's going on? You know, and I, at the moment, knock wood, everybody's healthy. Um, but I had a couple of people really, one person in particular was, you know, emotional. I miss you all. I really miss being with you. And I think being able to say that and not feeling like everyone's kind of, you know, um, cringing for you, but rather connecting to you is a, is a pretty important part of getting through this time. Uh, and as I've said to them, and I don't know if you feel this too, Brian, but although I don't know when I'm actually going to see these people again, um, physically, I feel more, I feel closer to them than I ever have. Uh, yeah, and I, I sure. feel sure that I'm not alone in that. Yeah, I think without a doubt. We are going to leave it there, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for making this happen. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, anytime. And thank you all for listening. And uh, we will be back next week with a new episode. <laughs>